Hello, and welcome to episode 17 of Revolutionary Ideas, the monthly podcast from Socialist Alternative. Over the last few years, the Me Too movement has exposed the widespread sexual abuse in society, often perpetrated by men in positions of power such as Jeffrey Epstein, and most recently with the high-profile accusations against Prince Andrew. In this episode, Jara, one of our regular hosts, will be discussing with Sarah Rack and Ellie Costain from Socialist Feminist Alternative to discuss what lies at the root of this abuse and how we can put an end to it. Over to you three. Hi everyone, really uh, excited to be here today to talk about, I think, one of the subjects that's been most talked about uh, in the past few uh, years, especially in the feminist community, but generally, uh, I think, in the world. And uh, that is kind of the connection between sexual abuse and abuse of power and generally the system that we live in um, that kind of uh, perpetrates this uh, kind of violence. So... I have here uh, Ellie and Sarah with me, uh, and I'm really excited to hear what you've got uh, what you've got to say. But before we get kind of like into the whys, I wanted to ask you because I think in the past few years we've seen the Me Too movement, especially, but also a lot of other different kinds of movements like Neo Nemenos uh, in Latin America, uh, but all around the globe really fighting uh, sexual abuse, fighting abuse of power, fighting femicide. And we've seen more and more powerful men, and sometimes women, I think, uh, we are in the context of only a few months after Ghislaine Maxwell uh, has been uh, uh, kind of uh, found uh, guilty. And we've, we're seeing them exposed for being sexual predators. And we also see them usually using their power over the people that they abuse. So I was wondering, why do you think uh, these people are being exposed on this kind of level right now? Because as I'm sure we all can agree here and anyone listening, this, these are not new, this is not a new thing that people use their power over vulnerable uh, uh, or less powerful people. So why is it being exposed right now, do you think? So I think that, yeah, the, the Me Too phenomenon in particular has had such a huge impact um, around the world in um, spurring on protests and different types of protest movements that have kind of stemmed from that, but also on what we describe as consciousness. So um, ordinary people's understanding of how things work, uh, of power dynamics, of all of those kind of things. And I think that um, particularly the younger generation there's just like a totally different view um, of uh, abuse and consent. Um, and there's just been a huge um, radicalization uh, and basically a generation saying um, zero tolerance on this type of stuff. And that's like being given confidence by the movement that's taken place, um, you know, being, I suppose, driven by anger about the number of uh, um, incidents like this that have been exposed as well. Um, but also that, the, the movement has sparked a discussion in society um, that has led to uh, a much better understanding um, on many of these these issues. So I think like, yeah, that's kind of the fundamentals is that people are um, unwilling to turn a blind eye to things that maybe were uh, a blind eye was turned to for, for far too long. Yeah, as Sarah said, like a change in sort of understanding is probably the main kind of um, the main thing that has led to these really high profile people um, being put under the spotlight. So as Sarah said, you know, the younger women are no longer willing to accept um, that abuse is, you know, just one of those things. 
um, or that it just happens to someone who is unfortunate or was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, but actually that the problem is much bigger than that. Um, and they've put under scrutiny and into focus the tactics that um, abusers use to sort of um, to sort of diminish it and make it seem less of less of a big deal or or just one of those unfortunate things like I said um such as like victim blaming um and things like that so so yeah when those are all under scrutiny um it can no longer be something abuse is no longer something that you can just accept as like I said one of those things yeah I think I, I, I think I really agree with that I think that there's a lot in the last few years especially but I guess in the last decade really that we've seen kind of this shift in consciousness like you said Sarah of like people and especially women but generally people I think accepting less and less of that um and I was wondering why you think that is why why is this consciousness changed now what what's happened that moved people from you know boys will be boys to zero tolerance like you said I think it's part of like a broader phenomenon as well that it's not just um, on issues of gender oppression, but that actually the last um, decade uh, in particular has seen revolutionary movements in um, some parts of the world, huge um, strike movements, uh, Black Lives Matter, um, and also all the um, waves of feminist uh, protest as well. And the generally in society has been um, a radicalization of a big section looking towards left ideas socialist ideas um you know challenging but beginning to question the idea that capitalism is the only way to organize things um as a result of um those protests but also as a result of the conditions that they're facing because all of those movements have been spurred really fundamentally by the fact that capitalism has been in huge crisis um that you know for young people now uh, their whole adult life, if not <laughs> longer, has been dominated by economic crisis, by COVID, um, by the climate crisis just escalating beyond um, all uh, all control. And so those things have a huge impact on um, people's view of the world and just it becomes very clear things have to change. And that I think leads to people questioning, well, you know, what are all the different aspects in which things can change, things could be different? What do I not have to accept anymore? Um, and what can beginning to look towards what can the alternative to that be so I think that's kind of what lies fundamentally behind it yeah and I also think that there's um this another phenomenon that I found really interesting in these movements that uh, you're talking about and I think generally it's really important that we connect all of these movements together like you said because it's not like uh the only thing that people there's changed in the consciousness of people in the last 10 five years um is just the issue of sexual assault but I think that there's also been a really interesting kind of I guess split in this movement of a lot of people demanding kind of justice in the traditional um, way of getting people like prosecuted and convicted but also there's a lot of discussion beneath the surface but also and I think in the last few years a lot more of it above the surface of talking about this not just as an individual case of you know convicting an individual but pointing actually the blame at the justice system for not having done that uh, in the first place and uh, maybe questioning its purpose so I was wondering 
What is actually the purpose of the justice system? Is it here to protect victims? Statistics for the justice system are um, really shocking. So even in this country, um, less than 1% of rape cases um, go to trial and end in a prosecution. Um, so when you think of the, the first, um, your first point of contact with the justice system, that would be, in a lot of cases, that would be the police. Um, and they've become under scrutiny and recently, you know, a lot to do with the Black Lives Matter movement, actually. Um, so it's, it's become really clear that within the police, um, you know, it's mainly a force that's mainly made up of men um, and there, you know, there are racist and misogynistic sort of points of view that, that they hold. Um, and then that kind of carries on as you go through the system, you know, um, these ideas of like victim blaming um, carry on and on um, and then until like you know you could go through the justice system you could bring someone to trial but because of these really pervasive like ideas sexist ideas in the end ultimately um, that individual woman in this instance um, doesn't get the justice that they des that they deserve um, and it's because of these these ideas being really deeply rooted throughout the system. It's dehumanising in a lot of ways that you are kind of treated as evidence uh, rather than uh, given any control over uh, the way that it's done. And especially when, in a lot of these cases, it's not just that the police and the, the court and justice system are not really willing to support you or not really there for you, but it's also that this entire system is built to protect these people who are the abusers of power. Yeah, no, I think that's really important um, what Yara said about it being the whole system. And also, I think um, Ellie finished about the, you know, these ideas being really deeply rooted within the institutions, within the justice system. Like, you know, it is um, definitely the case that it's been proven that there are large numbers of individuals within the police um, but also in other um, areas of the justice system who hold like really abhorrent ideas and that that's not challenged and so on. But also that it's important to say that that's not just it's not just about those individuals and kind of the concentration of individuals um, within the justice system who hold those ideas. It's the fact that the whole purpose of the justice system under capitalism is to defend the interests of the system and the capitalist system benefits from misogyny, sexism, abuse, all of those things are inherent to the capitalist system. And that's why fundamentally, I mean, you know, you wouldn't, but you could have loads of really um, enlightened, well-intentioned people filling all the positions in the justice system, and it still wouldn't be able to offer fundamental justice to uh, women um, and uh, other abused people. Um, because of the, the role that it plays under capitalism is fundamentally to, to defend um, the interests of the system. Um, and I think that, yeah, it's absolutely true that that's particularly the case when it's these like rich and powerful um, people uh, being challenged, like even with um, Jeffrey Epstein, for example, um, who, you know, is obviously just one of the vilest individuals um, that any of us have heard kind of details of and that that was known. And there are so many examples throughout uh, the history of that case of it being ignored, of him being given um, lenient sentences, for example. So if you read about the brief time that he did spend in jail um, where he was like allowed out on work release for long periods where he had his 
um, personal chauffeur drive him to a job that he had created for himself just for the time that he was in prison. Um, you know, the, the living conditions that he had just being so totally different to the vast majority of prisoners of like poor prisoners um, in US jails, being able to kind of abuse the system in that way. Um, and, you know, that's obviously in the rare case that you actually get a conviction and, and sentence, um, let alone the kind of ability of rich and powerful people to worm their way out of the system much earlier than that. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's also, when you think about it, obviously it, it's a positive thing when a perpetrator, especially of that calibre, is convicted. Like, I think, like, obviously Weinstein being convicted was a huge kind of success and victory of the movement. But it's really important that we don't just, you know, go, yeah, let's just prosecute all of these people. Because for each, like like you both said, like for each... um powerful man or even not powerful man but somehow it, you, it's usually powerful men uh, who has been convicted there's hundreds if not thousands if not more than that that have walked free because of their ability to maneuver the system that is built to protect them because they're powerful um and i think if we're already talking about powerful people in this context today it's we can't really ignore um uh, people like prince andrew uh, and the whole uh, you know, mess uh, that's happening now in the royal family because of him. And we, we we are seeing kind of these powerful people from all walks of life being exposed. But I think it's particularly interesting to talk about it, about the royal family, because it's an institution that, let's just say, is not known for its morality. Um, <laughs> but I think that before this kind of outbreak before me too and even at the beginning of it the monarchy was seen as kind of untouchable um but suddenly like now we're seeing this public outrage specifically about prince andrew and this kind of public outrage even moved parts of the royal family to get the queen to remove his titles um so i'm, I'm wondering we, we did talk a little bit about changing consciousness but i'm i'm specifically curious to hear what you think about the monarchy, uh, because I think it has been such a central part of the discussions, especially in Britain, about the Epstein case. And I don't know, I don't know if you agree, but personally, I don't think that this result that we got, which obviously is a lot less than should have been done, but this result that we got, I don't, I'm not sure that we would have gone it 10 years ago, or even six years ago, you know what I mean? So... As we were sort of talking about earlier about how, you know, the consciousness for younger people has um, really changed in regards to um, sexual abuse and the things that perhaps a generation ago would have been maybe a bit more accepted are really being challenged. I think that's really the case with the royal family as well. Um, so I think, for instance, things like the Black Lives Matters movement, um, that really brought under the spotlight these systems and institutions and things that are built on racism and exploitation which is of course the the royal family the monarchy is really tied up in like britain's imperialist past and it's very violent past and how that's been really like exploitive and all over the world and um, you know in, in some of their colonies i think this criticism and this like scrutiny of the royal family is uh, particularly amongst younger people 
um, has kind of led to the only real conclusion, which is it's just an archaic way to sort of organise society. Why do we still have a royal family in the 21st century? Um, so, you know, it's been a particularly bad year for the royals, um, you know, and like I said, the idea of a few people are born more worthy than other people is really like an unattractive one um, and only someone who kind of thought that they were born more worthy than other people would act the way that Prince Andrew has acted, particularly in regards to that television interview which I won't go into more detail about because I'm sure we've all seen it um, you know and this is not this is not a, the behaviour of like a a leader that people want to get behind in any way shape or form um, and then you know Prince Prince Andrew has in some cases outright outright denied what um, he's been alleged of doing um, and used like victim blaming tactics to sort of and, and like he said will now as as things progress um with all the like legal resources that he has with this great wealth and um, will do everything in his way to sort of worm his way out of um the justice system and being brought to trial but you know that will be remain to be seen so um i really think like a combination of the blm movement as well as this as we were talking about before me too sort of changing women's consciousness and not wanting to accept um, abuse or victim blaming etc has really brought the royal family under like scrutiny that it wasn't in previous years. Yeah no I think that's a, a really interesting point about how the royal family is kind of like the epitome of so many different things that have um, caused huge anger and protests and stuff amongst young people in particular in recent years so yeah racism imperialism inequality um you know the idea of just this like obscene amount of wealth being passed down through generations for no you know with no work or um anything given back to society as a result of it i just think just kind of in instinctively um fills vast numbers of people with huge anger um in the current context um and i think you know it's also an important point that um you made earlier about how the royal the monarchy is like actually a totally outdown, outdated institution like it's not even a capitalist institution it comes from pre-capitalist times um serves no function really apart from that it is sometimes useful for the capitalist class they like to try and use the queen to um sometimes try and like have the final say on things. Oh, well, the queen thinks this, therefore we can't kind of question it to use the royal family to divert attention with like royal weddings and royal babies and this kind of stuff when, you know, people are suffering um, huge poverty and cuts and all those kind of things. It can be a useful tool for them to try and use. But I think that that is decreasingly the case because of the fact it's been so... Um, so undermined based on the reality that um, people kind of experience. Um, and also just, you know, in the age of partly um, where people are questioning things as we've discussed already, but also the era of like social media and uh, that kind of thing. There's been so many um, things exposed, uh, such as like the Meghan Markle interview, for example, had a big impact, I think, um, on consciousness about the kind of very harmful, explicit racism that individuals within the royal family, as well as it as an institution um, kind of uh, hold. Um, 
So I think it's been extremely undermined by that. But I'd also go back to the point we made earlier about kind of the root of that being the general crisis of capitalism. And actually, like if you look at surveys, um, every kind of institution um, of the system uh, has the the trust of the public in those institutions has fallen massively in the last decade. So like the media, politicians, the monarchy, the church, all of those um, institutions, there's just been a collapse of the kind of... um, authority that they hold amongst ordinary people and that is a symptom of um the huge crisis uh crisis crises that capitalism um, is facing yeah i know it's so shocking that an institution that conducted the 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 one of the most successful colonization uh, efforts in history is uh is racist right it's so shocking um but i think that if if we are talking about kind of i think especially like the the way that the, the the this consciousness that we've been talking about since the start has been chipping away at these old school institutions and i think that the monarchy like you both said is is a perfect example because it's not even a, a modern institution in any way um and we're still using it and i think that there's also an element that's really dangerous about that because the queen is used as a symbol that has like it's, she's not a person you know like she doesn't say her opinion uh, and she's not allowed to say any political uh, 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 opinions. And that is really easy for the ruling class, like you said, Sarah, to, to just use. Um, but I think also now that we live uh, with a consciousness that, like I think Ellie said really well, that, that, that it's no longer about people who have a birth-given right to do anything. Um, there's it's very clear to us that she is a person like everyone else uh so her being on a pedestal just makes less and less sense i think for people um but i think when we talk about these kind of ideas of people who are more powerful by birthright or more powerful by uh the money that they have or the other kinds of power that they have i think it's really important to also ask kind of why is it the case that sexual assault uh, happens in this context? Why is it the case that it's specifically sexual uh, assault that we see? Like, obviously, there's a lot of other kinds of abuse and exploitation that we see from uh, the powerful towards the uh, exploited. But surely sexual, uh, like, you know, sexual abuse has nothing to do with power. It has to do with sex, right? So why... Why is it so connected? Why do we see all these powerful men sexually abusing women? And in this case, even sexually abusing girls, not even women. Um, Yeah, I think it's actually something that's quite widely understood in feminist movements in particular, but also in society more generally. Um, This is one of the things that consciousness has been raised on by the movements that we've discussed, that uh, sexual abuse of all forms does fundamentally come down to power um, and the exertion of power. And that's like a really important point. And you can see, um, I think Ellie mentioned it in the last question, actually, that you can see the link quite clearly of when people have been either brought up or over their lives um, develop the idea that they are entitled to whatever they want and that people with less money and power than them um, have to provide them with that, whether that is, you know, um, waiting on them hand and foot, whether that is uh, behaving in a certain way in a workplace, um, carrying out whatever tasks at whatever hours they want as the boss, or whether that is sexually, um, that you can see there's a a particular um, kind of 
brutality and brazenness and violence to uh, some of the abuse that we know has been carried out by some individuals within the capitalist establishment. And I think you can kind of see um, the link there. When we look at um, the particular case of of Jeffrey Epstein as as an example, I think it's really it really says something about how um, society like the system is set up when he was ex- like exceptionally wealthy, worth millions, um, and you know had friends in the highest places, um, whether that's like Wall Street, the royal family. Um, presidents and prime ministers and things like this um whereas the people that he exploited and he trafficked the the women the girls they were often the most vulnerable um they were from like much poorer backgrounds in really like de- deprived working class areas um often things like a history of they've been previously abused or you know substance abuse issues and things like that um so I think this really shows like the stark difference in how um this really powerful man was able to abuse really, really vulnerable women and girls. Yeah, and I think we again see it all the time and we also see it throughout uh the the vast majority of is- of uh, history um of you know uh, after class society was uh, created that it's you know like you say it's the powerful men in in this case it's uh these powerful uh rich men like Epstein uh we talked about colonization it was a, a normal routine to use rape and sexual assault uh on uh vulnerable people in the colonies uh not just by Britain but generally uh we know that it's a tool that is used to exert power and we also know that it's it's uh, a lot of the times uh like that is perpetrated by a powerful person uh, on someone who is less powerful than them. But I think the class element is particularly important when you consider that a lot of the sexual abuse and domestic violence that we uh, uh, encounter comes from people that are pretty much in the same class. You know, uh, a lot of it comes from a partner or from a parent. So I, I, I was just wondering, how do you think that relates to what we're talking about? Because obviously... There's so many powerful men that have this kind of relationship of vulnerability with their victims, but then you also have that part. So how how does it work together? So yeah, yeah, it's totally right that abuse happens in every single class and it's not always the the case that someone who is a position of power over you um, will abuse you. It, it could happen, like you said, in, in the family, in the home. Um, when you look at gender-based violence, I think it's important to consider that um, women are sort of globally poorer than men. Um, and this is due to like a lot of different factors, um, the gender pay gap, um, unpaid care work, which is estimated to be $10.8 trillion if that sort of domestic labour was given a minimum wage. Um, and yeah, overrepresented in like casual or precarious employment and sort of things. So um, these conditions create opportunities for women to be exploited. Um, and I think, for example, over lockdown, this sort of picture has been really like exacerbated and these issues that were already there have been made worse in a lot of cases. So of course, like 
in Britain and in lots of other countries, you know, lockdown rules um, implemented on people were to sort of stay inside. And with that sort of staying inside, you know, the domestic violence incidents sort of increased in some places. Um, you know, and then, like I said, if, for instance, you do more unpaid domestic care, you have children that you're sort of unpaid to look after, um, you're paid less generally than your partner, um, you know, you will lack the sort of means to like escape these violent situations. Yeah, I think that's really important about the material conditions that make um, working class and poor people particularly vulnerable to abuse and, um, you know, give uh, richer people with resources, connections and so on, particular power that can be abused, including, you know, can lead to abuse, including um, sexually. It's also about those material conditions feeding into an ideology um, and the kind of ideas that exist across society, across all classes. Um, So we as socialists, we think that ideas and behaviours don't just spontaneously exist. And, uh, you know, we kind of reject the idea of uh, a human nature that is, you know, where inherently men are um, violent and abusive and aggressive and don't express their emotions or something. All of those things, actually, when you, you know, think about where they come from, it's because of the type of system we live under that the, the system we live under capitalism creates um, the, the type of environment that fosters very damaging ideas about gender. And that's all related to those material points that Ellie um, just made, because it creates a, a, a system where, um, you know, c- capitalism benefits from women being in certain types of employment, being lower paid, doing unpaid work in the home and all those kind of things. But then that feeds into an idea of what women are, how women should behave, um, ideas about women's sexuality and so on, um, which then become essential for the survival of the system. Um, And that uh, breeds misogyny and sexism um, amongst all individuals. So, you know, when we say that um, it's capitalism that is at the root cause of misogyny and abuse, it's not saying that it's every capitalist individual versus every working class individual who has like perfect ideas of gender or something. Um, But it's about saying the system creates the conditions that allow these ideas and not just allow them, but need these ideas to, to thrive. Yeah, you know, I think it's one of these things that uh, a lot of the time we do hear things about kind of the connection between the system and the oppression of women. We actually had a full two-part episode about it last year, episode five, if you want to go back and uh, listen. But I think it's very rarely kind of related uh, when people speak about it to things that are outside of the economic life of people. It's usually about, you know, we talk about inheritance or we talk about... um, kind of the the work that people do or reproductive work as well but it's very rarely about you know the 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 everyday life of you know as as a human being <laughs> and i think it's really important that we make this connection that it's the system maybe the oppression of women stemmed from the economic element of it and uh from how are you just talking about about the uh, uh the way that the system is built to uh, kind of hoard wealth but at the end of the day, this impacts every single element of our lives. And that is beyond our work or how much money we'll make or the money that we have. 
Um, and that also includes our sexuality and our, you know, I think very clearly in the last few years, um, we've also seen a lot of struggles for our right over our personal bodies when we want to make a choice about them. Um, and it's, it's really crucial to make that point that it's not just, you know, the church or the monarchy or a bad government that doesn't give it uh, as opposed to the good government that does allow you to do it. It's all part of the system that uh, we all in this world live under. Um, so I was wondering, because that, that actually sounds really ominous, doesn't it? It sounds like uh, we're doomed, basically. We're living under a system that is not just oppressing us in, in our you know quality of life, but also in our most personal choices and decisions about our own personal bodies. So I, I just want to ask, what, what do we do to stop that? If it's so systemic, what, what do we do to stop this? So yeah, it is, it is systemic. And so we need system change to combat it. And that is why we are socialist feminists and think that the two, the two struggles are totally interconnected, the feminist struggle and the struggle for a, a socialist society. Because if you think about all those things we just described that create the conditions for these like reactionary, damaging, abusive ideas that, you know, uh, cause so much damage for so many people, a socialist society eradicates all of those conditions and that um, provides the, the basis to begin to erode those ideas. So if you have a society that is based on uh, equality, solidarity, the democratic participation of the mass of people in running society, collective ownership um, of the huge wealth and resources that exist in the world, um, collectively deciding how those are used um, and all of those things, then all of those points we just made about um, why the, the you know nicest person in the world can't overcome the, the the kind of basis that capitalism um provides for misogyny to um be bred that's you know it, it erodes that that base if you see what i mean so um me too started in 2017 or maybe 18 um and like we've discussed has been really powerful and has really sort of um taken off all over the world which is really like amazing um so within Me Too, um, for those who maybe don't know, it was people were invited to like share their stories of if they have been um, the victim of, of sexual abuse, um, you know, to say Me Too and then to sort of share a testimonial sort of thing, um, which I think is really powerful. Testimonials can be like a really, really powerful and really important way of saying, look, this happens all over the place. and. Um, it happened to me and if it happened to you you're not alone etc that's like really powerful um during the height of me too in the us in socialist alternative in the us there was the slogan bring me too into the workplace and i think it, that obviously have has been done for instance in mcdonald's they did like a successful strike action in the us over instances of like sexual assault and things like that so if we're looking for things that people can do to build movements that's a really important one isn't it to sort of start within your own workplace to say that this sort of behavior shouldn't be accepted but as we've said not only just within your own workplace but like within your own community um because of course unfortunately sexual violence doesn't just happen in one specific place which is you know the workplace it could happen everywhere so we sought that with um Sarah Everard 
when she was sort of kidnapped and murdered, the people who if in her community in South London obviously did that vigil. And then it was really sort of violently repressed um, by, by the police. But I think that's really powerful. Wherever sexual assault happens is to sort of come out on the streets against it and sort of, you know, say that this kind of behaviour will not be tolerated. Um, because after Sarah Everard, that vigil, then there were like lots of, a string of lots of protests against um, Kill the Bill, which was a bill that would have, you know, restricted the rights of people to come out and protest. So obviously the, the dots were connected there, weren't they? Um, if the, the, the government, they want to restrict our rights to protest, but this is an effective way of coming out together with people um, after there has been some kind of assault or, or sexism in within the community. I think this is a really good example, especially in the context of all of the discussion that we've just had, because the Sarah Everard case, that the, the, the perpetrator was a police officer who abused his power against her. And I think that the repression of the protests against it uh, and kind of the failures of the system to handle it. And then on top of that, like you say, the, the bill that was meant to uh, stop people from protesting against these things kind of just show you the connection between the justice system, the police, the system overall and the oppression of women, even when it comes to femicide, even when it comes to sexual abuse. Um, and I think that if, if you want to learn more about what the most well-known Marxist uh, writers and revolutionaries uh, uh, said about this connection, uh, you should uh, go back and listen to our previous episode about uh, State and Revolution by Lenin. But um, I also think that in this context now, when we're seeing these connections so clearly and we are seeing kind of how the system and all of its tools, like the police and like the justice system, are here to oppress us. It's really important that we take these movements and really direct them towards something, right? Uh, this is what we do. We uh, do fight against the system overall, and especially in Socialist Feminist Alternative, uh, which uh, we're, both, we're all a part of. Basically a tool that we're using here, but also internationally to fight against a system that is very important to uh, mention that is international, and I think that we can see that very clearly through the Epstein case. Um, so if you do want to take these steps to fight against this oppressive, sexist, misogynist system, do uh, check out uh, the joining link uh, below and also obviously subscribe to us because we are coming up with uh, new episodes about these topics uh, which I think you'll find interesting. So thank you so much Ellie and thank you so much Sarah and see you uh, soon. Thanks to our speakers Dara, Sarah and Ellie for this discussion. If you want to help build the movement against abuse, femicide and attacks on women's rights, follow the link in the description to join us in protest on International Women's Day on Tuesday, March 8th. Or to find out more about joining Socialist Alternative, you can contact us on our website at socialistalternative.net. On Facebook, we're Socialist Alternative ISA England, Wales and Scotland. On Twitter, it's Socialist Alternative EWS. On Instagram, at socialistalternative.ews and on TikTok it is socialist underscore bits. 
we hope to see you again for another episode next month. Bye-bye.